We are going to start talking about something in this class period that has come up a number of times in uh, recent months, and that is the accusation that the Church of Christ is a cult. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, almost every hand has gone up. A few years ago, a young man, a teenager, actually came to me, and he said, I have seen some videos, or I saw a video dealing with the subject. He said, I'm struggling to answer. He said, I don't know what the answer to this is. He said, GBN ought to start a program where people could submit videos, and then you would review these videos and answer them in light of the truth, because there's so much error on YouTube and online, it just bombards young people. And so I love that suggestion, and I started a program at GBN called Answering the Error. Aaron Gallagher and I do this together. We take videos that are submitted by viewers, and we never pick, we have never picked one video. Everyone is because someone submitted it and said, will you review this? There are always videos that teach error, and we play the video, and we stop, and we answer, and we play it, and we stop, and we answer, and we do that so that no one can say, well, you pulled it out of context, or that they can't say, well, you built a straw man. That's not what they really believe. We're going to let them talk, and we try to do the entire video so people can hear exactly what they believe in context. Another thing that we always do is we reach out to the people in the video and we want to be fair, and we tell them we're going to review your video. Would you like to discuss it with us, even uh, live, and to give them a chance to speak for Try to be as fair as possible. It's not taken out of context. It's not a straw man. We give them an opportunity to debate it or discuss it. About half the time, people don't respond at all. And then uh, a small percentage of the time, they will respond, but they say no, for the first time ever, we had someone respond with regard to a video that was turned in saying that the Church of Christ is a cult. Anyway, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. In recent months, in the last year or so maybe, there have been numerous videos that have popped up saying that the Church of Christ is a cult. And that's interesting to me because I used to hear that years ago when I was a new preacher. I haven't really heard it in a long time, but it seems like there's been a resurgence of it. Anyway, we received at least two different videos that were out there, but we received it numerous times. The first one was a video called The Church of Christ Cult or Nah, is what he called it. Uh, this particular video, he gives three reasons why he says the Church of Christ is a cult. Number one, he says they teach that you must be baptized in the Church of Christ. And he asserts it as if it must be in a Church of Christ building. Uh, you can watch his video. I'm not going to go through his, but uh, we answer all of his arguments. Number two, he says we don't use instrumental music, therefore we must be a cult. And then number three, we teach baptism and water is required. Therefore, we must be a cult. Now, you can watch his video online, and we always put links to people's videos, so you can watch their entire video if you would like. Uh, but we answer it, and we also have resources. A brand new thing that we have just put out, and I have just a few of them, and that is we've put out the Answering the Error book. And that is, along with the first season of videos, you can go through, I think we've got 13 uh, reviews that we did of different videos. 
and we answer them, and now there's a book so that you can go through it and stop and read the verses and then read our answers. And it's a workbook to help you. Uh, it's also a resource that you can go back and you'll have the answers to these things written out. The second video that was submitted to us is one uh, called Cultish. And what this podcast does is they simply review churches that they say are cults. And I thought, man, how could you have a whole podcast? How could there be that many cults out there? But, but that's what they do. It's called cultish. Anyway, this particular one, you see three men that are on this panel. Their names are Andrew, Trey, and Jeremiah. From left to right, Andrew, Trey, and Jeremiah. On this particular program, they deal with the Church of Christ. They bring in a man who they who now calls himself a pastor. He's a former member of the Church of Christ, and he's their expert. He's the guy in the middle. His name is Trey, Trey Fisher. Trey is from West Monroe, Louisiana, which if that clicks with you, West Monroe, Louisiana, do you all know who's there? What's there? That's the Duck Dynasty guys. And so the church there in West Monroe, Louisiana, is where he was converted. He was converted by the Robertsons, that is the Duck Dynasty guys. And so he came up under them, which is interesting. My son-in-law, Casey, who is about to graduate the School of Preaching, he has taken a job in West Monroe, Louisiana. And so he said, every time people say, where are you moving?, he says, West Monroe, Louisiana. Are you going down there with the Duck Dynasty guys? Uh, no, he's not. Uh, it's the same town, but it's a different congregation. So anyway, we reached out, either myself or Aaron Gallagher, we reach out to each person before we review their material. We reached out to them, and they actually responded. And they said, yes, we would be happy to debate you. And so the fella in the middle, Trey Fisher, said, I have my own podcast. He said, I would love to debate you. And Aaron said, great, let's do it. And so they had a series of six debates online dealing with uh, these various subjects. And you can go to GBN's website, and they're very good. They deal with everything from uh, once saved, always saved, baptism, plan of salvation, the one church, uh, different things. And finally, this fellow was just using it for his, um, his podcast to have material to keep going. And Aaron finally said, I can't debate you forever. This is just podcast material for him. So after six, uh, Aaron said, uh, we're going to wind it down. Uh, but you can watch them and judge for yourself. Just watch them. This fellow went to seminary. He studied this in school. And he has presented what he believes are the best arguments just watch them. I think the truth is defended very, very well. Anyway, this particular podcast is two hours long. And so by the time we stopped and we edited and, and we went through all the different arguments, we had, I think, six or seven or eight videos that we did answering this. But one of the main things that they say the Church of Christ is a cult. So I want to begin and define what is a cult. When someone says that any organization is a cult, what does that conjure up in your mind when you think of the term cult? What's that? Weirdos? Okay, well, we might have some weirdos. but <laughs> uh, When you think of a cult, what do you think of? 
Okay, mind control. Yeah, that comes to, that comes to my mind. What else do you think of when you think of a cult? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're thinking Jonestown, was that his name? Jonestown. Let's see, he was down in South America, I think. Uh, Guyana, I believe, if memory serves. I was just a kid when that happened, but back in the 70s, uh, what was his name? Jim Jones, that's right. And he had this big cult down in, I think it was Guyana, if my memory serves me correctly. And um, he took them down there and basically had them drink the Kool-Aid and they all died. And we've got a phrase now from that. Uh, they drank the Kool-Aid. That means they bought into it. They followed and believed his lie. And that became kind of a cultural phenomenon. Okay. Religious fanatics. I looked up the word cult in the dictionary. This is what it says. Merriam-Webster says, a small religious group that is not part of a larger, more accepted religion and has beliefs regarded by many people as extreme or dangerous. Now, the first thing I thought was a small group, not part of a larger, more accepted religion. That was predominantly Muslim. Christianity would be one of those small, not accepted religions, right? So how you de define this can get very tricky. Christianity would be a cult in any uh, any form of Christianity would be a cult in a Muslim country. My second thought was, according to their definition, it says that it was something that was viewed as extreme or dangerous. You know, according to their definition, Christianity in the first century would have been defined as a cult, right? Isn't that the way that the Jews popped up and said this? Hey, this is dangerous. This is extreme. This is problematic. we got to stomp out these people. In fact, listen to this and see if I'm right about this. In Acts 28, 22, the Jews said to Paul, we desire to hear from you concerning this sect. What does that mean? This little group, this little, see, it's a small group, this, this, this little sect. Now listen to this part that is everywhere spoken against. We want to hear about this sect that everybody's speaking against. They thought it was extreme. It was dangerous. Everybody spoke. According to the definition of a cult, New Testament Christianity would have been a cult. Josh? Yeah, that, that's true. And so when you think about the definition of a cult, the audio sounds great in here, by the way. It, sound, it sounds good and full and it sounds balanced. And uh, so kudos to the audio guys on that. Um, when you think about the definition that's given of a small group, the Lord's Church has millions of members around the world. It doesn't even fit this definition it's not extreme. It's not dangerous. It's got some views that are different. And so I believe that the term cult, when I think about it, relates more to mind control. It relates more to stealing people's possessions. It relates to taking advantage of people. And it is dangerous. It ends up uh, oftentimes with people being dead. 
And so just the general definition, it doesn't fit. So why is it said? I think that oftentimes it's used as a term of slander because uh, you want to say something. And so that's what it said. So why do they define us as a cult? They kind of rambled for two hours, and you can watch it and make your own judgment about that. So I had a hard time picking this out, but I went through and I listed some of the things that they list as reasons why we are a cult. Number one, they said that the Church of Christ was started by Alexander Campbell. They said that the Church of Christ was started in the 1830s in Kentucky by a man named Thomas Campbell and his son, Alexander Campbell. They said it was part of the Restoration Movement. Therefore, the followers of this movement, they refer to as Campbellites. Now, the short answer to that, have you all ever heard that before? Okay, most people in here have heard that. The, the short answer is, it's just not true. When we use the term Church of Christ, when they use the term Church of Christ, they're using it as the name of a denomination. And that's not accurate. Sometimes people think we are saying, leave your denomination and come be a part of our denomination. That's not what we're saying at all. The term Church of Christ in the Bible is actually a possessive phrase. It's a descriptive phrase. When you read Church of Christ in Romans 16, 16, it simply means the church belonging to Christ. That's all it means. We're asking people to be the church that belongs to Christ. Not a, not a denominations. A denomina we stand against all denominations. Now, if a person understands that, most of these issues are going to disappear. Now, the church of Christ, the church belonging to Christ, did not start in the 1800s with the Campbells. It has existed since Acts chapter 2. What we are saying is, Let's just be that church of Acts chapter 2. But from the very beginning of the church, there have been congregations that have drifted away. Is that not true? Absolutely. Think about this. Even in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, you read about the Ephesus Church of Christ. And the Lord says to them, Remember from whence you are fallen, else I will come to you and I will remove your candlestick. What does that mean? When he says to the Ephesus Church of Christ, you've fallen, that is, you've drifted away. And he says, you need to repent. And I'm going to give you a short window of time to repent. And if you don't, I'm going to remove your candlestick. What does the Lord mean when he says, I'm going to remove your candlestick? I'm not going to count you one of my churches anymore. A church can start drifting to the point that they've got problems, and then they can drift to a point that the Lord doesn't even consider them His anymore. Now, what they need is they need to be called back to the Bible. And just like an unfaithful person could be called back and restored, could a congregation be called back and restored? Of course. Of course that is the case. And when they are called back and restored, they haven't started a new church. What they've done is they have gone back to the pattern. And that's what the Lord is saying to the church at Ephesus in, Ephes in Revelation chapter 2. He is saying to them, come back and follow the pattern. And if you don't, I'm going to write you off. I, I, I'm going to take away your candlestick. So the first thing is 
is simply not true to say that this is a movement that was started by Alexander Campbell. All the Church of Christ was was a movement to say, guys, we have drifted so far away, we got to go back and follow the Bible. Here's the second thing. Their suggestion just doesn't hold up historically. If you go back and look, there are churches of Christ in England that are found in history a hundred years before Alexander Campbell was born, according to the Abilene Christian College lectureships. Um, I read of one located in North Yarmouth, Tennessee, near Salina, Tennessee, that was started in 1736. That's not far from here. Started in 1736. That was 50 years before Alexander Campbell was ever born. Leslie G. Thompson has documented in his uh, book that he wrote about churches in Scotland and England and Ireland in the 1700s. In fact, I've got a book in my personal library called Traces of the Kingdom. It's by a man named Keith Sisman. And he goes and he has used documents from the British Library, I mean the British Museum in London and the Cambridge University Libraries. And through that historical evidence, he documents churches of Christ in England going back a thousand years. That far predates Alexander Campbell. But here's the thing that really matters. There is not one thing that we teach a person has to do in order to be saved that came from Alexander Campbell. Now, if you ask, what did we teach about the plan of salvation that came from Alexander Campbell? There's nothing. Everything, we, we never quote Alexander Campbell. We always point to the scripture. And we say, this is what they did in the first century. That's what Alexander Campbell said. Let's go back and follow the Bible. We've drifted where we're not following the Bible. Go back and do that. What thing do we do in worship that came from Alexander Campbell? There is nothing. What one thing do we practice that came from Alexander Campbell? There's nothing like that. So the first thing is just simply not true. It, it can't be sustained scripturally. It's a misuse of the term and his, history shows that it's not the case. All right, here's the second thing. This is probably going to take me a couple of weeks to go through this, this uh, class, but I told you this class was going to be fundamentals and basics. Here's the second thing that he says. The Church of Christ is a cult because they don't believe, they don't even believe that we're born as sinners. Now, the verse that they use to teach this is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. This is the one they reference. It says this, We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. Now they say this proves it. They focus particularly on the phrase, by nature. We were by nature the children of wrath. Now they'll say that by nature means you're born that way. Children of wrath means that you're objects of God's wrath. So we were born as children of God's wrath. They believe, and it's taught in many denominations, that when Adam sinned in the garden, that his sinful nature was passed on to all men so that we are born with, you know what they call it? A fallen nature. We're all born with the fallen nature. They say that we are born totally, hereditarily depraved, totally, complete, as far gone as it can get. Hereditarily, 
It comes through your DNA. You inherit it. You're depraved. You are wicked. Totally as wicked as you can be, and you inherit through your DNA. They say babies cry because they're sinners. That is a shocking thing to me to hear. They say baby, and they say that in this uh, particular podcast. In fact, at one point, Andrew, the fellow on the right, turns to Trey, and he expresses surprise that we don't believe, that, that we believe that a baby's born sinless. He's just shocked by that. And he says, can you explain it? Can you elaborate on that? And he says this. He says, people are shocked when he tells them that we do not believe that babies are born as sinners. He says, when I tell people the church Christ doesn't believe they're born as sinners, he says, people are shocked by that. You know, my experience has been the opposite. When I have said to people that some believe that babies are born as wicked sinners, they are shocked by that. Everyone can see, I think, and appreciate the innocence of a little baby. But here's the real question. The question doesn't really matter whether people are shocked or whether they're not shocked. The question is, what does the Bible say? All right. I always have to see this. When I put it on my computer, I'm always thinking, is this going to be large enough for them to see it? But y'all can read that okay, right? Okay. The real question is not whether people are shocked or whether they're not shocked, but what does the Bible say about this? Here's some verses. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 says, Whoever commits sin transgresses also the law. How does a person become a sinner? He doesn't inherit it. He commits sin. That's how he transgresses the law. Listen to Ezekiel 18.20. The soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wicked wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Now, when you read this, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Which soul is going to be punished? The one that committed sin. Go back to 1 John 3, 4. The soul that commits sin. You don't inherit sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So that means I inherit sin from my father, right? Keep reading. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. So can you inherit sin from your father? Can you inherit sin from your grandfather? Your great-grandfather? Great-great-great. What about Adam? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. What he's saying is the guilt of sin does not pass on through um, hereditary, through DNA. It doesn't work that way. Now listen to the next one. Hebrews 12 and verse 9 says that God is the father of spirits. Now, if your spirit is born wicked, totally, hereditarily depraved, as wicked as it can be, and yet God is the father of that spirit. How do you explain that? How do you wrap your mind around that? Josh? Yeah, that's true. I hear people saying that today. They're apologizing for the, you know, you have people today that are apologizing for slavery. I'm sorry that, you know, even though I oppose racism and slavery, 
that, you know, four generations ago, there were some people in our country that I'm not related to and didn't know and have been dead a long time, but they supported slavery. And I, I apologize to you for that. Well, we're sorry that that happened, but I don't bear the guilt for that. Yes, sir. Shane? Huh, interesting thought, because it does lay the blame on God, doesn't it? It, it really does. All right, think about this next passage, Matthew 18, 3. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children. Now, if a little child is born hereditarily depraved, totally hereditarily depraved, and Jesus said, you need to be converted and become like them. I think it was, um, I don't remember if it was John MacArthur or John Piper, he described babies as vipers and diapers. Vipers and diapers, well, that's kind of a, a cute rhyme, but vipers and diapers. I've seen a few that are vipers and diapers, but... Um, <laughs> It wasn't because of hereditary depravity. Um, so the Bible just does not teach this. Jesus said, look at the innocence of a child. You are born in an innocent state, pure in my sight. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, such is the kingdom of heaven. You want to be right with God? You need to become like this little child. Matthew 18, 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible absolutely does not teach that we inherit sin and that we are wicked at birth. And so Aaron said, if you believe this, let's debate it. And so they went on and debated it. And Trey Fisher throws out the best arguments that he has. I encourage you to watch it because I think they are so thoroughly answered. And Aaron is very kind and very patient and and we want to be that way. Sometimes it's frustrating, but you want to be kind and patient because if you've got an ugly demeanor, you're not going to win anybody to the truth. Listen to this. Romans chapter 7 and verse 9. This is how the Apostle Paul describes his early life before he was right with God. He says, I was once alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Paul says, I was once alive without the law. What is he talking about? When he was a baby, he was alive spiritually. He was innocent. He was pure because he was not accountable to the law in that immature state. But he gets a little older. The commandment came. He could understand it. He became accountable. Sin revived, and he died. He got to the point that he reached the age of accountability and he violated the law, and he died. He was alive spiritually, and then he died spiritually. You see what he's describing? He's describing the innocence that Jesus said a baby has, but you reach a certain age of maturity, and then the Lord says, you're accountable. You know, some people, because of mental incapacities, never reach that age. Maybe a person, maybe a child is... Um, we used to use the term mentally retarded. I've been told that that's offensive now, so I don't... I don't even know what to say now, but someone who's got a mental deficiencies and they never mature mentally, they would say, um, what, what's the condition of that person? 
if they mentally remain on the state of a little baby, five minutes, if they remain on the state of little baby, they remain in that state in the eyes of God. They are just as innocent. Every child who dies in that state is safe in the eyes of God. And so they play off of that. And one of the guys said, well, um, he said, if babies are so pure and innocent and they're the pattern, he said, why don't we have babies teaching Sunday school? If they're sinless, why shouldn't they be teaching us? I forget which one of them said that. Um, obviously, he wasn't thinking through this when he said it. Um, sinless does not mean all-knowing. Uh, a baby doesn't have the mental maturity to be a teacher just because he's sinless. In fact, the fact that he's sinless relates to his lack of mental maturity. And so he certainly can't be a teacher. Well, then Trey says this in this video we were viewing. He says, if babies are, are born perfect, why don't you just murder them? He said abortion would be great. Andrew says that would be the best form of evangelism. Now, they weren't really pushing that. They were trying to be absurd to make a point. What they were trying to say at least I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt to say that. What they were trying to say is, hey, if y'all believe that babies are pure and that they go to heaven when they die, why don't we just start killing babies? Why don't you say abortion be a great form of evangelism if you believe that? Um, it is true that babies who die go to heaven. There is no doubt about it. But Proverbs 6.17 says, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. So murder is a sin, and those who did it would be condemning their souls. Murder is evil, evil, Mark 7 and verse 21. So let me hit this before we run out of time. Somebody says, well, then, Don, what does Ephesians 2 and verse 3? Did I do another slide of that? What does Ephesians 2 and verse 3 mean when it says, by nature, we are the children of wrath? The phrase, the argument has to do with this phrase, by nature. What does the phrase by nature mean? They would say it means you're born that way. Man just inherited that. The phrase by nature can mean that, but it doesn't have to mean that. It has multiple definitions. This particular Greek word, which I won't even try to pronounce here, this particular Greek word can mean, one of the definitions is, uh, it's his nature because of longstanding practice. Uh, one version says this, you were by custom children of wrath. Instead of by nature, it says by custom. Next to the word nature in your Bible, I would write habitual practice. That's what this means. It was their nature to sin. Why? Because that's how they always lived. Not that they were born that way. I, I'll give you an example. Somebody says, hey, where's Joe tonight? And somebody says, uh, well, it's Saturday night. He's probably drunk. You know, that's his nature. Do they mean he's born that way? By nature, he does that. When they say, well, that's his nature, they didn't mean Joe's been drinking since, you know, when he hit the bottle, he was hitting the bottle. That's, that's not what they mean. What they mean is that's his longstanding practice. Everybody knows that uh, about Joe. That is one of the definitions of this Greek word, and I think that's exactly what it means. These Gentiles long-standing practice. It's been their history. They were born into that environment. They were raised up that way and were living that way, and they were, by long-standing practice, children of wrath. But 
This verse does not mean this. It can't mean this in light of so many other passages in the Bible. Now, we only have like maybe one minute left, but I'll go ahead and introduce the next one. The third thing he said is, the church of Christ doesn't hold to the doctrine of once saved, always saved. It must be a cult. They don't believe in once saved, always saved. Are we out of time? One minute, okay. Part of Reformed theology, sometimes you hear people talk about, uh, I'm a, a part of Reformed theology. Some of the biggest Reformed theology people in our country are John McCord or, or John McCord, uh, John MacArthur uh, and uh, John Piper. Um, there's there's another big one whose name's not coming to me right now. Uh, anyway, part of their theology is once you are saved, there is nothing you can do to be lost. Well, um, this fellow Fisher, Trey Fisher, wanted to debate Aaron on that. They've got one, I think, full two-hour session where they debate this at length. And Trey throws out the very best arguments that he has on this. And we'll pick up and go with this next week. But I want to go with this idea. They say church Christ is a cult because they believe once you're saved, you can actually lose your salvation. The question is, what does the Bible say? Let's see the verses that they put forward and let's examine it in an honest way. All right, thanks.